Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. This is Every Day is Earth Day, and today we've got Chuck Brandle, who is an engineer at ISG, and he primarily deals with water, and it just happens to be Water Quality Month, so it's a nice fit. Good morning, Chuck. How are you? I am great. Thanks for having me on. I love talking about water. That's that's what I do every day and deal with. So, What exactly do you do? Because you said you're with the Water Business Unit at ISG, and that's, of course, a company that is engineering and does all sorts of planning for buildings and all sorts of things. Yeah, I lead our Water Business Unit, ISG. We're headquartered here in Mankato, but we have 12 offices throughout four states, and our water group works on many different things. Urban stormwater for developments and new buildings. We do rural drainage, which there's a lot around here for agricultural runoff. Uh, we work with wetlands and restoring wetlands, and streams, lake restorations. Uh, we do floodplain management. With it being Water Quality Month, we deal a lot with water quality. Almost every project that we do has some sort of water quality component. And we're really busy right now in watershed planning. And that's a big focus around this area right now. I don't know how long have you been in the business. Let me ask you that first. I've been with ISG for 22 years. I've got 24 years of experience in the civil engineering business. So how has the care and the planning for water changed over those years? It seems like we are more cognizant of planning and doing things to better, I guess, do things for better for the environment. Uh, there's There's been a lot of changes, and I've seen a lot of those. We've had rules from a national level, from the EPA, and, and more of a state level from the MPCA that have developed. And as our area has developed, we've learned what works and what doesn't work. And um, I've been able to have some, some input on that as, as these rules have been developed. One other you know big focus is from 2010 to 2020, it's the wettest decade on record in Minnesota. So we've had flooding issues. We've had to deal with a lot of excess water. So learning how to deal with that and, and how to do things differently than we were in the past, we, we had to adapt to kind of a changing climate. And of course, now we've had a couple of years of drought. So we're looking at the other end and it's easy to forget that. So how do you continue to plan within that parameter that we've had all this these wet years and now all of a sudden we're in these droughts and a lot of other places are as well? Well, it's a challenge because it's a balance. You know, here in southern Minnesota, we've got a large ag community. We, we've got a large ag background. And there's a certain amount of rain that, that, that our crops need. Right. And if we have too little, we need to figure out ways that maybe we can irrigate or store some and reuse it. If we have too much, we've got to protect our streams and rivers from flooding and figure out ways to still manage getting a crop off the field while protecting our resources downstream. So so it's a balancing act that we, we, we get to work with. And what's fun is we're in our company and, and the clients we work for, they allow us to be pretty innovative. And we've tried different things around here that, that have worked very well. Can you give us an example of some projects that you have worked on that might illustrate the, the types of things you've done for water quality? I've got a lot of examples. One that's been around for a little while, a project down in near the city of Mapleton. Uh, we call it County Ditch 57. 
but it was one of the first projects that we put a stormwater pond on a drainage system. So there's a drainage system that was the outlet for the city of Mapleton, but it also um, drained a lot of farmed acres. And they had an infrastructure issue that was failing and flooding issues. So instead of putting in a larger system, we put in a pond and a two-stage ditch and other practices that hadn't been done and got to monitor that over the wettest decade on record. And and it, it worked very well. What did it do that made it different? I mean, I'm trying to understand exactly how it works because I'm not real familiar with how these all work. Instead of just draining the land and sending it downstream, Mm -hmm. it temporarily stored some of the water and it also incorporated some practices that treated the water while we stored it. A a two-stage ditch is a different type of design for a drainage system. It provides a floodplain that we plant native plants on, and those native plants suck up nutrients while we control the rate of the water going through the system. And then the the pond that was part of that had some sediment storage, and we captured multiple truckloads of sediment instead of sending that downstream into our rivers that flow here through Mankato. Now, I'm on the Water Quality Committee for the Lake Washington Improvement Association, and we've been working on improving water quality. Some of the things have that have been worked on is getting access, renting land from farmers that can be put into a pond or, or drainage system, so to speak, before it just goes right into the lake, and that way it filters out in, I guess, wetlands around it and uh, actually doing it instead of just those drainage systems just going right into the the lakes. I'm a resident of Lake Washington also. Oh, okay. And um, ISG is working on the water quality assessment. Huge opportunity that we just were fortunate enough to get. Um, The state of Minnesota had a brand new storage grant and ISG partnering with the Lake Washington Association and LeSueur County and the LeSueur County SWCD got one of the first grants for storage. So we're real excited about that project. Yeah, and I'm on the committee that we talk about that all the time. So why don't you describe how it works? I know I'm not really good at explaining it, but it, it seems to make sense. And it's it's a thing that includes a lot of planning with a lot of different people. Yeah, I mean, the Lake Washington project in specific, looking at the water quality of Lake Washington. There are times when there are algae blooms in, in Lake Washington, and the residents are very concerned about that. So we looked at what are practices that could eliminate those or reduce those and we targeted some of the major inputs into the lake where is a lot of the water coming in and where is the the water that is it needs treatment the most and we were able to target a few landowners that opportunities where we could do that type of practice and about a 150 acre parcel was able to be at least discussed if we could get some funding to buy an easement on that and then we would create some storage, recreate some wetlands, and that those wetlands and storage would act like as a filter. So we'd trap runoff from agricultural fields, roads, and other areas before it gets into the lake. And they save in tons of what phosphorus being dumped in and other things that cause the algae blooms. Isn't that what the the goal yeah. is? Yeah, yeah, we're targeting phosphorus and nitrogen. Okay, um, which are uh, you know as as we get high rain events, those run off our our landscape both naturally and from the practices that we do and if we can capture some of that and reduce that amount of phosphorus and nitrogen going into the lake we will improve the water quality. And that takes time though I mean and that's the the one thing about it it's not an instant fix. Correct Um, these projects take a lot of planning there's planning on the local level there's planning on the state level and then 
trying to find opportunities where you have a willing landowner that will give up some land and where you can find dollars to do it. So we got to leverage both the the dollars from the residents along Lake Washington, some of the landowners, and then some state dollars. Now, I come from Wisconsin in an area of northwest Wisconsin on a, a big farm, and we had sandy soil. So when I moved to southern Minnesota in 1988, the whole idea of having drainage tile was all new to me. And I would look and I said, what in the world is that? Because with sand, it just all kind of, we didn't need to drain anything. It just drained itself. And so so that was relatively new to me. And so that was 1988. Has that contributed a lot to the issue of the, the pollutants and sediment and things going into the lakes because of with the drainage, it's just kind of been going down into ditches or waterways, et cetera? Yeah, there, there's a balance there. Drainage has has speeds up some of the runoff that that does go that runs off of the agricultural fields. It also provides us the ability to drain those. So we try to look for a solution that can drain maybe the the best land and then treat water on other land that maybe is marginal land. So, like Washington Project, we're restoring an area that was a wetland, but the 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 clay soils here have very slow infiltration rates. And we have very fertile soil. And without drainage, we really would struggle to get a crop off off land, especially when we have the wettest decade on record. I mean, that, yeah. that, that sped up a lot of things. We try to be creative in how do we balance that. We develop projects similar to, to what we're talking about here on Lake Washington, where we can reduce the flows into our natural resources by still, but still providing adequate drainage for farmland. So you do a lot of different projects and you mentioned a couple. Are there others that might be good to illustrate some of the things that you do as a water engineer? Yeah, the, I, we, as, as a company, we're, we're a fairly large company. We've got a lot of different types of projects. We're doing a, a habitat restoration project uh, near Albert Lee um, that we just started. It's going to be a really cool project, um, restoring a lake. We just completed a project in Des Moines where we put treatment in the street where we put filters along the edge of a, of a street it's in downtown des moines a redevelopment area and it's a really cool project so i'm trying to picture you have something along the curbs or, or where in the street what what exactly would would it, it look like it's it's in the boulevard oh so you know you typically see uh, a boulevard that has trees on it right we've got sunken basins uh-huh. that have filter fi- filter material within those basins so we direct all the runoff from the street and the development into those basins and allow for both the the, the street to be treated and the the development to happen while reducing peak flows coming out and capturing sediment. Very unique design. Um, How has that been working? Very well. I was down there last week, took a look at them, and the the plants are flourishing, the trees are growing, and by providing these little bit more open areas, the trees have more root zone and more areas to capture some of the the water, and they're going to grow better. They're going to last longer instead of having concrete all the way around them. So it's a pretty unique design. I was, I was glad I got to see it last week. So the one thing I always think about that pro- prohibits people from doing these kind of innovative things is cost. Is that the kind of thing that's cost prohibitive? You did it down there, so, sort of a pilot. It's working great. I mean, is it going to prove itself that others will say, hey, we're going to spend the money to do this? Well, in their case, they didn't have land available to put in large storage areas. Okay. And they wanted, you know, it's downtown. They wanted to develop 
um, taller buildings. So I think in some of our areas around here, it'd be a it'd be a practice that maybe we could supplement with other types of treatment. In, in that project, they did it along the entire street section, but we in here in this area maybe we could do it in small small areas and develop somewhat of a treatment train. Look at what's cost effective, what works in other areas. You know, in the city of Mankato, there are a lot of you see a lot of ponds around. The development over the last 20 years, that was the preferred way to um, treat stormwater. But we are seeing a lot of more swales, treatment swales along roads. You drive along Adam Street, for instance, there's a, there's a swale along there. So when did that be, come into being? Because I'm, I'm recalling now you mentioned that some of those storm ponds or whatever you, you call them, the, do they actually call them rain gardens at some points too that, that have been popping up everywhere? Even at Prairie Winds School in the middle space around when you drive around, there was this kind of a, I guess, a rain garden where the, everything could kind of drain. Has that been more recent years? Well, it has been. Originally when some of the development happened here, there were more regional stormwater ponds. And both rule changes, and the city of Mankato became in what's called an MS4, which they govern their own stormwater. Mm-hmm. And they looked at what are ways that they could provide treatment. I did work on the Prairie Wind School project, and we did put a treatment swale along the streets. And the school, uh, when they were working on their project, they were going above and beyond from a stormwater stand- standpoint and put in a basin next to the school. Yes. And then there's a large regional pond that nobody really can see on the south side of the school. So there's a treatment train effect that goes through that whole project. Treatment train. Treatment train. Treat the water right where it runs off. Try to try to get some filtration. We have the heavy soil so we it doesn't soak into the ground, but if we can use plants and trees and some long detention time, we can treat the water as it flows through the system and maybe through the large developments capture it in a few spots and then provide one area where we reduce peak flows when we get a really big event. What are some other things you think are important for us to know about what you do, Chuck? Well, our group, uh, you know, working on both water quality and flooding, um, like I said earlier, it's a balance. We're seeing a lot of interest in floodplain management. How do we deal with, you know, we had some larger events, even though we're in a in little little bit of a drought now. If we've got areas that are in a floodplain or developers that want to build in a floodplain, homes that are in a floodplain, how can they they add to that? Um, That's something that we've seen an increase in in interest in. So we've hired a a certified floodplain manager, had other people trained in that. I touched on it earlier, watershed planning. The state of Minnesota has a program that's called One Watershed, One Plan. The Lesur River is currently in within doing a one watershed one plan and we're helping them out with that there's another one watershed one plan for the middle minnesota which isg is uh helping put that plan together and it's a great way to look at planning up front we know that there's going to be infrastructure needs we know that there's going to also be some funding for water quality where are the best places to put those and getting the uh, the right people at the table to to help lay that out so there's a an organized plan when when those things need to be implemented. If you look back, Chuck, to I don't know the years that happened, but the city of Mankato is surrounded by these dikes, these big walls. Looking back, is that what knowing what you know now about water and handling water 
flood systems. Is that what you would have done or would there have been something different that might have been done versus putting up these concrete walls to kind of hold it all in? And then what happens then downstream or upstream, then other people get that water and it floods their area and it kind of has this effect of dominoes and, and that sort of thing. Well, I... I don't think it's a, a bad a, was a bad approach. I mean, I think those were the mid '60s, late mm-hmm. '60s, and the city had been here for a while. So right. we had, you know, we had areas close to the river. That was that was the lifeblood uh, sure. when we when we developed things. They had steamboats back then. Steamboats, yeah. yeah. You had to get to the river, and yeah. everybody wanted to be as close to the river as possible. So as as the the city grew and we saw more flooding. You know that was a way to to keep the city where it's at without moving it or having to move structures. So our office is downtown. We're right. within a, a block of the flood wall, so we couldn't be there with a, without it. And I think I think that's just a, a learning process. You know, we changed how we we did things. The river's not our highway anymore. Like I said, and things are done, and then upstream, somebody else is impacted by it. So. Is there a way when you plan now that you can do it so it won't impact somebody down the way or up the way as much? Well, and I, I think, you know, as we're, t- we're sitting in Mankato and talking about Mankato, as development occurred up on the hill, there was a lot of look at how can we store the water? How can we not flood, not create any more flooding? And that's that's how we're looking at it, both on a small scale, on a small site, a small pond or, or filtration swale. Or on a large watershed stand, uh, watershed view, we're doing huge stormwater ponds, both in urban areas and rural areas, to try to capture the water up in the watershed before it gets to the river. So if things would have developed the other way, away from the river, that could have been done. But that's not how history was, was put forward. So, as, as a water engineer, do you ever think these floodplains or these these dikes is out there called their levees levees yeah levees will they last forever are we going to have issues down the line you know i always think about doesn't concrete get old and and wear out for example is there ever a concern about those sorts of things there absolutely is and there was a recertification of the levees that was completed my memory serves me right 2008 2007 2008 okay um isg was involved with some of that there were multiple consultants that looked at that and and we looked at the condition of the of the of the dikes and the walls, and and that's something that's going to have to be maintained, just like any other type of infrastructure. I'm very busy right now on the ag side of things because that infrastructure was built a hundred years ago, and it's failing all over the place. So, so, what are you doing to correct it then? I mean, what can you do? Well, we we just look at things differently. You know, we a um, hundred years ago. You drove a different car, you drove a different tractor, you planted different plants. Sure. And from a drainage side of things, we know that if we can provide some treatment and storage, that's going to protect our rivers, that's going to reduce flooding downstream. So let's provide that where we can cost effectively. Is there anything individual homeowners can do to be a part of the the solution to water quality improvement? Well, you mentioned rain gardens earlier. You can have a rain garden in your yard. Uh, before I moved out to Lake Washington, I lived in the city of North Mankato. I put in a large treatment swale in my backyard. So I put in a, a shallow tile, some rock above that, and then I planted native plants along that. So all the water from my backyard ran through that area, was treated before it went down into the ravine. 
there's a lot of different things you can do. Having a native plant, native grass area, that's that's what I did. And uh, it provides a good treatment area to, to reduce that runoff. I've done things like rain barrels, and I've also done the native plantings and, and things like that. And it's just that not everybody has the knowledge or the capability of you to make their own backyard swale. Correct. So how do you know if you could do that? I mean, do you call somebody and say, hey, could I do this? Or how would you know if you could or if it's even worth looking at? There, there's a lot of resources. The state of Minnesota has resources. You know, if you look up through the MPCA or the Minnesota DNR on rain gardens, runoff, you know, on the lake, they have a whole section on how do you treat your shoreland from a water quality perspective. But then you also have local officials that, that have some of that knowledge and there is some funding that can be available for that. And then you've got consultants like like ISG that we have that knowledge and, and we have people dedicated just for water quality and for grant funding. A lot of the work you do is because of statewide grants. You mentioned working with LeSueur County and that sort of thing. Is that a big part of how a lot of these projects are going to be getting done? It's a combination. I mean, a, a lot of projects we're dealing with an infrastructure issue whether it's we need to provide more infrastructure for development, we need to replace infrastructure that's draining agricultural fields, or there's grant opportunities to improve water quality. So it's it's a balance. Most of the time our projects start because there's there's an issue, whether it's poor water quality or it's an infrastructure failure. And all of those, we try to add a water quality component to them no matter where it starts. The reason I ask that is because is there something we as taxpayers or landowners could do to talk with our legislators and say, we'd like you to support more things that will help us to do these type of projects that can be beneficial to our water quality, et cetera? Well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Back in 2009, the, the state, through a vote, passed the 3 ace Clean Water Amendment that provides three-eighths of a percent for all of our sales tax to clean water. So that is that program is where we get a lot of our grant dollars in the state of Minnesota. So if we can talk to our legislators and say, we need to make sure that that money's going to the right place. I've seen throughout the state that at times it'll go to certain areas of the state and maybe not necessarily our area. So I've talked to my legislators about that saying, We've got opportunities here for water quality, and we have a need. So let's just make sure those funds do go where they where they are needed. Chuck, you mentioned the different parts of the state, and I never thought about looking at it that way. But it's a good good thing to think about. Where in the state are we doing the best job with dealing with the floodplains, the water quality, and all those sorts of things? Are there spots that stand out as more problematic than others? Well, the the southern portion of the state has. When you look at, we talked earlier about phosphorus and nitrogen runoff, yes. we have the highest amount. We also have the most farmland and we have the least amount of lakes and wooded areas. So I think that's something that we should target. We need to spend, and and and, and don't get me wrong, I, I think we should spend dollars preserving our natural areas that, that aren't natural, but we also need to look at how can we treat this area, which has a lot of rural areas and and it, it's it's the bread it's part of the breadbasket of America how do how how do, can we provide water quality in those areas to help support that 
It seems a lot of communities are growing and using up a lot of the farmland. How is that impacting what is being done? Because obviously when you've got the farmland, you've got the drainage and that sort of thing. And then you've got cities taking over a lot of that land. I mean, you just look around Mankato. What kind of impact is that having on water quality and and, and just that sort of thing in general? Well, from a development standpoint, there are set rules for water quality treatment, stormwater treatment, storage. I think in this area, we're doing a good job of looking at different practices, like we talked about earlier, the treatment train, to, to provide those solutions. On the agricultural side, there aren't as many rules for that. And I think that's changing. There's definitely a look at what can we do. And I think it, it's it's not even from a mandate standpoint. It's that the our, our producers live here and they want to protect those resources. So one thing that I think we can do is is get them to work together. And maybe there are things that could be done on the ag side that could be used for future development. So as both of them if they can work together, I think we could provide some unique solutions. We're talking with Chuck Brandle. He is a an engineer with ISG in the Lead Water Business Unit at ISG, and I was unaware that there was such a unit. So it's really interesting to me that that is such a big focus, obviously, of what is going on. Is there anything else you think is really important that we haven't covered, Chuck? I want to make sure I give you the opportunity to talk about it. Well, like I said earlier, it, it, it is Water Quality Month. And our water team, we, I like to kayak. We have people that like to ski, Mm -hmm. boat, fish. So the people that are working on these things live here, play here, use the water. And I just want to say, I think everybody should look at that. We need, we need a lot of different things to, to, to keep our agricultural community going, keep our city thriving and developing. And if we can provide some water quality treatment and make things better as we look it into the future, that's something that uh, I think is important and that our team at ISG looks at on every single project. All right. Well, I want to thank you for your time and, and informing us a little bit about what you do as a, a water engineer, water quality engineer. Is that the right? That, that'd be one way to say it, yes. All yep. right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and happy Water Quality Month. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the executive board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.